Hey, you're listening to Naptime Investigations, a true crime podcast. What we're about to discuss is likely disturbing and contains mature content with the use of adult language and the occasional mom joke. Listener discretion is advised. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at Naptime Investigations or Twitter at Naptime underscore podcasts. We're your hosts. I'm Taylor. And I'm Amanda. We're just a couple of internet mom friends who like to talk about true crime and conspiracies when we can get our children to sleep. Thanks for being our kind of person and joining us to talk about what normal people think isn't appropriate for small talk. Losers. Lame. Hello. I hate when I do that on recording, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna edit it out. It's fine. <laughs> it is what it is. This is who I am. Deal with it. I am who I am. <laughs> Y'all should know that by now. I don't know what episode this is, but it's an episode and we're back. Yeah. Yeah. What is up? <laughs> Today we are going to talk about Brian Schaefer. So all of us true crime people, people. have like cases that stick with us, right? Like you for like, sure. You know what I'm talking about. And absolutely. Our listeners probably do too. This is one of these cases, actually. Julia Davis is my case. I don't have just one, but this is one of mine. When I when I read about it and I heard about it, I I mean I don't it stuck with me. So this is it's one of my cases. So also this is a great time to plug the case suggestion. So if you have any case suggestions that let us know. Brian Schaefer was born on February twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine, to his parents, Randy and Renee Schaefer. He was actually the oldest of their two boys. So he was their first child and they had, they had another boy after. So his younger brother. So they lived in Picton, Ohio, which is not far from Columbus. Don't know much about Ohio, but I hear Columbus is big. I mean, isn't that the capital? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. I know nothing about Ohio. So that tells you about that much. (laughs) We'll go with that's the capital. Yes. That is the capital of Ohio. (laughs) If it's not, that's going to be even better for this episode, honestly. (laughs) Staying in and I'm not looking it up. I'm changing it. (laughs) It is now. Naptime Investigations declares this as the capital. Yep. Anyway, so Brian had a pretty normal childhood. Happy, loving, normal family. Nothing much to report about that. I do want to say his, his mom was a nurse and that kind of inspired him to go to school. So he went and got his undergraduate degree in microbiology from Ohio State University. And then he went on to Ohio State University College of Medicine. So he started studying medicine in 2004. Okay. So super smart. Yeah. Can't relate. I am not that smart. <laughs> it's just really ambitious too. For sure. I'm over here saying this, but I'm thinking about going back to school. I hate you. <laughs> I'm only one de- degree away from being a doctor. Dr. Amanda. And I'm just saying, when I do become a doctor, because it's not a if, it just is a when. And, it's a matter of when at this point. And what I decide to go for. Uh, I'm going to be introducing myself as doctor. I will not. I love it. I, I will it. not. It'll be like, welcome back. This is Dr. Amanda. <laughs> With naptime investigations. I already told my work too. I support it. 
in my family they already know i told them if they want to start now so they can get used to it <laughs> they rolled their eyes anyway so Honestly. yeah let's continue so he was going to school his mom they were very very close and that's kind of what inspired him to go to medical school sure and i do want to bring up though his mom was sick she had cancer and she was fighting it for a while it wasn't a, a quick diagnosis and um you know sometimes cancer can be quick and and very painful or long and drawn out and very painful i'm sure cancer is painful all around period but, um so it was it was pretty drawn out for her and in march 2006 his mother actually passed away of cancer and this was during his second year of, of medical school and like I said they were very close and she's the main reason why he he wanted to go to medical school so his death or his death her death was a very tough on him for multiple reasons one the loss of a parent I've never lost a parent but I can only imagine sure two they were very close three his whole career was shaped and sculpted based on his mom and how she was a nurse and her death with cancer was was a lot i could not imagine the the pain that he was going through not only as his as his mom's son but as a as a doctor a soon-to-be doctor right right just no i think knowing more so how how it's affecting the body I, i would imagine makes it more difficult my and of course depending on the type of cancer cancer she had too like my grandmother had um brain cancer and watching her pass away and essentially deteriorate was almost worse than actually losing her because you watch them lose themselves themselves rather and you lose the person that you've known your entire life in front of your eyes but they're still physically there so I can't even I that happened to my grandmother and that was hard I can't imagine that being one of my parents and then knowing like the the pain that they're probably in and things like that I think there's just so many layers to it for sure and I I I sympathize logically they he probably understood but probably very hard to rationalize things and whatnot so with that being said it was just really really tough on him he was dating a long-term girlfriend her name was alexis wagner she was also in medical school they went they were going to school together they were gonna hashtag power couple right right (laughs) they they were going to school together and they were they were doing the damn thing brian was super dependable he was happy and bright and could light up a room we're gonna move to march 31st 2006 it was the start of Brian's spring break. It was a Friday. He had a really tough week. I mean, obviously he's in med school. He was tired. He pulled a lot of over, like uh, all night overnighters, all nighters studying and cramming for tests and finals and, and not, I guess it was midterms, not finals, but t- studying for tests and stuff. And um, he was really excited. He was going to be off for a week and he actually had a trip planned to go to Florida with his girlfriend, Alexis. But um, before the trip, he, so that was Friday. They were leaving like that Monday. Brian went out to dinner with his dad, Randy, and they went to a steakhouse. They enjoyed a nice dinner and they just were kind of celebrating. It was some daddy and me time. Is that, is that, that sounds creepy. Right? That sounds very creepy. Father-son time. I don't, I don't Father know. Father-son time sounds better. 
Like mommy and me doesn't sound creepy. But, but like, daddy and me? <laughs> Why? I hate it. I'm going to stick with daddy and me. I don't want to be a sexist. <laughs> so Randy did note that uh, Brian seemed really tired. Obviously, like I said, he was studying for those exams and things. I'm not doing that. And I am also tired. <laughs> Same. Brian had told his dad that he had planned on going out with some friends later that evening to continue the celebration. Like it was the start of spring break. I'm sure it was popping. Right. Hashtag turn up. Is that what people hashtag? I don't know. Or, I don't know. I just, I throw everything at, into a hashtag and see what sticks. Honestly. Yeah. Hashtag send it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so he was, he was like, nah, dad, like I'm going to go and live my best life. So he met up with friends around 9 p.m. He met up with his friend, Clint Florence, who was his old roommate. They were going to a bar that was very close to campus. It was a college bar. It was called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. <laughs> I like the name. <laughs> Fancy, right? Sounds it sounds like a class act. I bet it was like the biggest dive bar ever. The Tuna Saluna. Uh, this, like I said, this bar was on, or very, I think it was on campus, but if not, it was very, very close to campus. It was a super college bar. Like, cheap drinks. Apparently, I listened to in a podcast about this case, and um, they, they even had, like, fishbowl drinks. Like, you know, a drink out of a fishbowl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sign me up. It was called the Ugly Tuna Saluna, you know, going with the theme. Sign uh, me up. I'm going to go to this, the Tuna Saluna. Yeah. I could just imagine it being, like, loud and dirty, and it's kind of, like, the place to go, apparently. This, it was pop College. Yeah. So... He actually invited his brother. I just want to say that uh, he invited his brother and his brother's girlfriend to go out with them. But they were at a comedy show all night and they were tired. You know, they just wanted to kind of go back to their place and, and chill. So they declined. So it was just him and Clint at this point at the at the bar. While he was out with his friends, he decided to give Alexis, his long-term girlfriend, a call around 10 p.m. So he met up with Clint around 9 and he gave... Alexis a call around 10. She was actually visiting home and visiting family. Brian had planned to go on a spring break trip with her, like I said earlier, to Miami. And she wanted to visit family before they they took off. They spoke for a little while and she reported that he was in good spirits, normal conversation. And they were kind of really excited about the trip. They were just kind of talking about that. And so nothing out of the ordinary. It was a, a conversation that was... It was not sounding any alarms. Okay. He said, I love you. Like, I'm going to go hang out. Like, have fun with your family. I'll talk to you later kind of thing. So Brian and Clint decided to go to a few other bars that night. They were kind of just bar hopping. And they were drinking along the way. So sometime after midnight, April 1st, um, Brian and Clint met up with their friend Meredith Reed. Meredith, they were at a bar. And Meredith and Clint and Brian decided to go back to the Ugly Tuna. And that's like I said, that's the bar that they they started at. Clint, Tuna Saluna. Clint and Brian started at. So and the the two guys and Meredith decided to go back, and they all stayed there to party some more. So it was a little bit after midnight. What bars close at two? So that's still a few hours to do their thing. But they were drinking the whole time. So I can only imagine what it was like at this point. I mean, they they met up at nine. They were drinking for at least three hours. 
So yeah, can't hang. No, definitely not. (laughs) They were enjoying the night. And at some point, Brian separated from Meredith and Clint. Clint tried to call him a few times, but they didn't have any luck. So they separated. Clint and Meredith stayed together. And Brian had separated from his friends, which no big deal. You know, if you're at a bar, it's not like you are attached to your friends constantly. I assume there was music or something or pool or, you know, you're not going to. Somebody's got to go pee. Yeah. Drinking that long, I would imagine so. Or vomit. I don't know. Right. So they kind of separated and Clint and Meredith tried to call him a few times and looked for him. Uh, Clint went to the bathroom. They didn't see him in there. So they didn't think anything of it. This was at 2 a.m. at this point and the bars were closing. So they tried to call him a few more times and they went outside and waited for him for a little while. But Brian never showed up. They assumed that he kind of just headed home. Like maybe he was too drunk or didn't want to like peer pressure them into leaving before they wanted to or anything like that. Or maybe he just stumbled home. Like I don't, it was 2006. I don't, and he's a guy, he's a big guy too. Like he was like six plus feet tall. And oh wow, it, it wasn't like he would have anything to worry about walking home. He, he didn't live far either. So college bar, college campus, he probably didn't think anything of it. And neither did his friends. Later that weekend, both Meredith and Clint attempted to call Brian to just kind of catch up, be like, hey, what happened kind of thing. And he didn't answer. His friends weren't concerned, though, um, that they couldn't find him that night or even that he didn't answer his phone. He was pretty drunk. And um, so they were calling him on that Saturday and they were thinking that he was either like hungover still or they, I don't know what he didn't forget to like he didn't charge his phone it was dead or he was just kind of sleeping it off never assume this people never assume this yes never assume (laughs) especially if you can't find them but i mean they were kind of just like he was drunk he was tired right i i do want to say though alexis was also trying to get in touch with him i was gonna say where's his girlfriend so remember she was home but she was still trying to call him and stuff and i imagine text him it was 2006 there was texting she no one got a hold of him and but no one meredith and clint and and alexis they weren't talking so no one really knew that it was an issue or that he wasn't he did he just left yeah so i mean meredith and clint probably didn't think anything of it they were like oh like he didn't call us back or his phone was dead and then like whatever i'm sure alexis has talked to him and alexis didn't talk to their his friends either and I mean, she was a little concerned, but she was like, hey, we have our trip on Monday. Like, I will see him at the airport. No big deal. They they had already known that they were going on this trip together and they were going to, she was like, eh, it's kind of weird, but I'll see him there. She wasn't super concerned. Like I said, she knew that they were going to Miami. The trip was a little more important to him than just like uh, spring break. It wasn't just like, I need to get away at spring break. His mom actually purchased the ticket and and helped them plan the flight. It was a gift from his mom. Oh, wow. And so it was a big deal. His mom had just died. And it was, so his mom had died in March and, and this was the beginning of April. So it was weeks, literally, that his mom had passed away and this was a gift from her. So I, there was no way that he would, he would miss this trip. Right. That's where my mind is going to. Also, I want to say that uh, it is reported that they were pretty sure that Brian was going to propose to Alexis on this trip. Like Alexis was 
So Alexis is anticipating a proposal, and I think so is his family. Um, I don't think he kept it very much a secret that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with Alexis. So Sure. Um, it was anticipated that he was going to propose on the trip. Monday came around, and Alexis headed to the airport. She still couldn't get a hold of Ryan, and she was obviously- And they didn't live together? Um, I don't think so. Um, but I cannot 100% say no. But she, I mean, she was- so if she had planned to literally just go from the airport to wherever her family was, I don't right. know. Um, maybe his phone was dead. I don't know. 2006 was a different time. So she, I mean, she was getting more concerned, obviously, as time went on, but she went to the gate and she knew that Brian was going to be there. It was no question in her mind, really. But as everything was kind of getting closer and closer and there was still no Brian. She was trying to contact him and still nothing, but final call came for boarding and Brian still wasn't there. So she knew instantly that something was, something was wrong. So after the missed flight, Alexis sounded all the alarms. And I love that she did that because like people don't do that sometimes. So she contacted Brian's family and friends and the people Everyone soon realized that no one had really seen or talked to Brian since about 1.55 a.m. that Saturday morning at the Ugly Tuna. And that was not normal. It wasn't, it was definitely out of character. But even if it is in character, like there was other, obviously missing the flight and stuff like that. It was just not normal. So the police got involved while they were getting the police involved, I do want to say that, like, his father and his brother and Alexis, they all went to his apartment, and everything was normal. Like, it didn't seem like he had left, as in, like, his his house was So, for me, if I'm leaving, you're going to know I'm leaving. Like, right. I'm not going to have much food in the fridge. I'm going to have, like, no bread out, no milk, things like that, you know? Right. No dirty dishes in my sink. I like to come home to a clean kitchen and a made bed. So it was very, it was very clear that, I mean, I don't, I don't imagine that he was just being a a, a teenage guy, a college guy and leaving his apartment dirty. Like, it was just very clear that he wasn't leave, like, he wasn't planning on leaving when the last time. Yeah, like the last time he had left his apartment, it did not appear that this would be the last time he would leave his apartment. Yes, or he was going on vacation. You know, like his luggage and stuff was still there. Right. So the police were getting involved and they started reviewing the footage from the Ugly Tuna. This showed Brian and Clint and Meredith all coming up. So there was an escalator. So it showed them coming up the escalator to the main entrance around 1.15 and Brian was then seen outside the bar on CCTV footage talking to two women. Um, this, this footage, on this footage, it looks like he was saying bye to them. And then, then he, it, it looks like he goes up back into, like he's going towards the, the entrance of the bar again. And then the camera didn't record him leaving the bar. So it is assumed that he entered the bar again. At around that 155 mark when Clint and everyone was still trying to get a hold of him and they couldn't find him. The investigators confirmed they did not see him on camera again. There's a few things that could have happened. One, the, the cameras could have just not picked it up. So there were, I, my understanding is there was two cameras that could have picked him up. One was kind of, it wasn't moving. So it was, it was 
in a still position, okay. but it, it could have just not picked up where he walked. The other one would have definitely picked him up, but it was panning. So it was, it was a moving camera. So it, we don't know if it was just not on him at the time. Yeah. But it's assumed that he walked back into the bar, but they literally accounted for everyone coming out other than him. The investigators were floating around ideas. He could have changed and kind of put on a hat and put his head down while walking out. Although this is unlikely because they pretty much accounted for every single person coming out of the bar other than Brian. Like they knew who went in and know who didn't come out. Yeah. Um, And then, like I said, the other two cameras were, um, one of the two cameras was constantly moving and it could have just missed him. And it was made, I do, I did note that it was manually operated too. So it wasn't just like a. So it could have been like, oh, they moved it this way to look in this area and then just never moved it back. Yep. Or like they could have been looking at something in particular and they had it here for a while instead of having it panning. The Fox 8 Cleveland reported, they reported that every person who entered the bar was accounted for. Like I said, like that is who reported it. I, I, I can super obviously verify their sources, but right. they, they reported that everyone except Brian, literally like count for count, X amount of people went in, X minus Brian went out. That's not, I mean, I assume if they, if they're reviewing the camera footage in such depth that they would be able to do that. So there's another thing is he could have left the building not from the main entrance. There was one other exit. Okay. And it was a service door, but it was not used for the general public. If you're a drunk person, anything is open for the general public. (laughs) So there's a few things about that. He could have used this accidentally, but it opened into a construction site. It was like a almost like a maze like the construction site was it would have been very difficult for a sober person to navigate let alone someone who'd been drinking for five hours right so not super sure that that um is a possibility columbus actually has a impressive amount of cctv presence so i love it uh i do too needs more of that people everywhere needs more of that Especially for 2006, like, yes. Mm-hmm. So, okay, hold on, pause, because I have a question. Mm-hmm. So the bar closed at two. He went back into the building five minutes before it closed. Yes, but I imagine he was probably thinking he was going to go meet up with his friends. Okay. So with that being said, though, they saw him walking towards the entrance. The cameras, once again, remember the cameras. Right, right. They assumed that he went in, but they never saw him going. I was just, I was, I was pulling up the, I wanted to see the the video footage of it. Um, It's just odd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can see him on the escalator going up towards it. Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, Columbus has an impressive amount of CCTV presence. So the officers actually asked the surrounding businesses for their footage as well. And they were able to look at three other places And there was zero trace of Brian. Zero. Since they had no luck with the the video footage, police decided to go back to the basics. And they got some working pups. We love working pups. So they had police dogs sniff around for his scent. They looked 
through obvious places like the dumpster, places that he could have been, waste containers, trash compactors, um, like sewer systems, etc. You know, like everywhere that you would imagine a person, a body would be found. They were asking residents if they'd seen him and uh, handing out flyers and literally back to the basics. And right there was the fly. So the fl- the flyers even had pictures of Brian and in his description, and he had some tattoos that were um, maybe a little unique. And they were showing all these things. They even had a picture of the tattoo. It was like an ugly Pearl Jam tattoo. Oh my gosh! So and there was just no trace of him. Also. Um, if I ever go missing, I'm going to be easily identifiable. So Very easily identifiable. I could identify your body. <laughs> Any, anyone that like remotely knows me, I feel like I have plenty of things that could identify me. So. Plenty. Hashtag get more tattoos. <laughs> so the cops, the cops searched his apartment. And like I said, it didn't seem like he was not coming back. Nothing was out of place. His car was still there. It was the same. Nothing was missing. His luggage was there, which all, it just made everyone feel even uh, more uneasy. You know, like his, his family, his family went there and they looked, but it was just family. Once the police went there and they were like, it it just, it wasn't looking good. So with no sign of Brian, uh, there was also no indication of foul play. Um, There was no indication of an accident. The police started to consider that Brian just kind of walked away from his life. How many people actually do that though? Like, you know what I mean? I, I feel like in a lot of cases, it's always just assumed that these people just are done with their life. They get up and leave. But like, I'm genuinely curious, like how many times do people actually do that? Taylor, can you huh. think about what you're asking? What? How would we fucking know, man? Bruh, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, like, where are y'all getting this information? How do you, how can you guess on something that you don't know? You know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. So, there's a few things about that. I, I, um, it feels like such a dumb question to ask because, I mean, you wouldn't know, but like, yes, I, I'm really torn. One, I think that logically, as a, as a, I would like to think that I'm a logical person, look at the facts you literally exhausted like it sounds like they did a really good investigation right. here For they, sure. they used all their tools they used cctv footage they they tried to do phone stuff they um looked at his apartment they did dogs which like i feel like that is the most reliable source <laughs> working dogs are hands down the most reliable source it's science it is science <laughs> anyway so like I I feel like they did a really thorough investigation for sure so I can understand in this case why they might entertain it I mean his mom oh my gosh right it would make sense after like all that he's been through recently like I get it but also I'm like WTF mate like yeah I get it so I mean there was just a lot going on like his mother had just passed away and they were really close and although nothing seemed to point that he was leaving long-term or like temporarily the cops were kind of thinking that he would just needed his t- like this time to grieve like especially with this trip coming up like I, I, I maybe can see where this trip might have felt like 
the last part of his mom, you know? Wasn't ready to deal with it. Yeah. For sure. But then again, like, why bust your ass taking all these exams if you're just going to walk away and not finish out the semester? There's so many things pointing in either direction, really. Mm -hmm. And for him to be for everyone even his family to suspect that he's going to propose just says to me that i don't think that he just ran away so i i I honestly go back and forth yes i i but like grief you don't know for sure you you could never you know what i'm saying like you could literally never know okay so although the cops were entertaining the idea that he had left on his own uh they asked people who saw him that night to take polygraph tests. So they didn't just like write it off. Like, Hey, he ran away. So Randy Schaefer, his dad and his friend, Meredith Reed, they all, uh, or they all, they both agreed to take a poly and they both passed. Like we, we know that polygraphs aren't admissible in court or anything, but they were exhausting all possibilities and they were really doing their due diligence in this. And I'm, actually super impressed with it yeah i mean compared to other cases yeah we often hear and see so many times of not kristen smart (laughs) or like any other 90 percent of the cases hashtag restructure the police department so um so although randy and meredith passed his friend clint refused to take a polygraph and you know how we mentioned that they he was son he was seen on video talking to two women yeah those were actually the last people that they believe he talked to they come to find out were never asked to take a polygraph test according to them they were they were spoken to after the fact but they were never asked to take a poly which i mean that makes sense they spoke to him for maybe a handful of minutes and right so but clint did refuse to take a polygraph test doesn't make you guilty but it's just questionable for sure dude i would for sure refuse to take a poly but then again like it does make you look guilty right right (laughs) it's all it's it's also like the lawyering up right away before you're ever accused of anything like always freaking get a lawyer but also you sketch (laughs) so yeah um alexis held on so i mean they time passed and alexis just held on to the the hope that brian was still out there and she kept calling brian's phone every single day for a very long time oh my god my heart but the reason i think she kept calling so this happened in april and she was calling every day And it went straight to voicemail. But one night in September, so months after, the phone actually rang three times. Shut up. And no one answered. No one answered, but it rang. Did it ping somewhere? Hello, police? So. (laughs) I'm getting the hand. I'm getting the hand. I'm getting ahead of myself. Hello, police. It's me. Um, So that even gave her more hope you know like this is why she kept calling she called again like whatever and she called the cops and she was like yo (laughs) yeah so brian's provider actually said that it could have been a glitch in the system however a ping was detected (gasps) 
at a, a tower 14 miles northwest of Columbus. So that's not far from where he would have last been. Also, why is it 14 miles away? So the provider is thinking that it was a glitch in the system, but... I don't think it's a glitch in the system. I don't do this for a living, but I don't think it's a glitch in the system. <laughs> it's me, Taylor, the expert. The expert, non-expert. So there was a... I do want to say that there was multiple possible sightings of Brian in the U.S. and as far as Sweden. It, yeah, they were all investigated and nothing came from any of them. Aww. Brandy tirelessly searched for Brian and even consulted a, a psychic. Hell yeah. They told him that Brian's body was in water near a bridge. So Randy and some family and friends searched the nearest river to where Brian would have been last seen and nothing came of it. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. How heartbreaking. Yeah. Also, Randy loses his wife and then loses his son, like, weeks. How horrible. So everyone is super shocked and doesn't really understand. Like, Brian is... A guy that this wouldn't happen to like right selling in school and he was gonna be a doctor he looks like a doctor like at the pictures i looked at him he like looks like a doctor he was ready to propose to the love of his life alexis like he found his person he was a fit guy he was 6'2 160 pounds he was smart and reliable and responsible and it it, it just it's not brian it's, it's it like no if not that it should be anyone, but, like, it just wasn't going to be Brian, you know? Right, right. So everyone was shocked, and he was never found. Um, I do want to talk about Randy Schaefer. Randy Schaefer, um, in September 2008, Randy Schaefer was in his yard, and during a crazy windstorm, he was cleaning up debris and trying to get ahead of it, and a branch fatally struck him. What? Yeah. He was found, he wasn't found until the next morning when his neighbors actually uh, found his body and they called police. Oh my God. His obituary ran online with a condolence book. So like people could post on it. Sure. And there was a post and one of the signatures said to dad, love Brian and signed U.S. Virgin Island. This was actually investigated, and the comment actually came from a public computer in Ohio. And it was just a sick joke. It was disgusting. That's gross. Don't do that. That's disgusting. Um, I don't know if they ever really traced it to a specific person, but it was traced to a public computer, so. Oh, my God. I couldn't imagine being Brian's brother, you know, like, losing your mom and then your brother and then your dad. In a freak accident nonetheless and then some sick mofo going on there signing this like come on so brian's case is is still is cold he's still missing today uh i do want to talk about something really quickly though in 2020 something came up what i just got chills what (laughs) tell me so a picture (laughs) a, a picture of a homeless man in tijuana mexico surfaced in early 2000 or 2020 it was like january ish People thought it was Brian. Straight up. Let me send you a picture. Shut up. 
Shut up. That is a homeless- Oh my God. It's him. So that picture surfaced. That picture surfaced and I think it was late January, early February this year. And the detectives who were working his cold case actually asked the FBI for help to run some facial recognition comparison. And uh, after about a month, it was confirmed that it wasn't Brian. Bullshit. I don't believe that. I don't. I am the expert. Although it definitely looked. When I saw that picture. So I have known about this case, obviously, for a while. And um, I didn't hear about this picture. And when I saw that picture, I was like, we got him. Brian's alive. He's in Mexico. Mm. According to the FBI, it's not Brian. So his case is still cold. So sad. I, you know, and I hope that his parents, or at least his father, has some type of peace in the afterlife. Like, n- like they know. So you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So you and I were just talking about psychics and stuff. For sure. So the psychic that um, my family goes to. Uh, a family member actually came to my mom and specifically said, like, once you pass over, you get questions answered. Like, there's things that you always kind of questioned in life. And then once you pass over and in the afterlife, you get the answers. So that's would, comforting. I would like to believe that. And over. so um, I hope for um, his sake that he did get answers and um i I don't know i don't know what happened to brian i don't know what i think i go back and forth i would like to hope and think that he's alive i think realistically though realistically probably not but i mean he could be in mexico i'm just saying um i think that probably like some freak accident happened or something maybe um he did accidentally go out that back door and something happened in the construction site there was no remains ever found there but were they looking for them? I don't know. I think that the dogs would have smelled it. So yeah, that's Brian Schaefer. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And ladies and non-binaries and everyone else in the world. You. Mm-hmm. You people and non-people. Whatever you are. Thank you. We appreciate you. Appreciate you. We hope you join us every Monday for our weekly episode. And as an added bonus, we've deemed the first Sunday of every month as Serial Killer Sunday. So you can look forward to an extra long episode about our favorite serial killers once a month. Go follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Naptime Investigations or Twitter at Naptime underscore podcast. If you want us to cover one of your favorite cases, please send your case suggestions to naptimeinvestigations at gmail.com or via the case suggestion link in our Instagram bio. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for joining this party.